0: Good morning, Good morning. Pastor Kyle Thompson. I want to thank all of you for being here today, especially our guest. We also welcome those of you watching online or listening to a podcast today, and thank you for spending time with us as well. It's good to be back. I missed you all last week. I was away in uh, Chicago uh, with some other Methodist clergy and we were checking out some really exciting churches and visiting with their pastors up there, trying to learn from them. And it was a very uh, encouraging trip. And uh, But I'm glad to be back. I'm grateful to Kevin for delivering an awesome message last week. You were in very good hands. Uh, but it's always good to be back home uh, and be with our, my congregation here. So uh we're about to wrap up this summer sermon series, Summer at the Movies. Next week will be our last one as we hit the holiday weekend. And as Cole said, school's starting back this week. Um, so today we're going to be looking at Groundhog Day. Uh, it's one of my favorite movies. It's, uh, it's now a classic movie, very funny, uh, but with a really pretty special, meaningful uh, underlying message. So thanks for being here. Let me just now invite you to join me in a moment of silent prayer that I would deliver God's Word today. Uh, that we would all hear that word and allow God to transform uh, our lives. Let's pray together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Phil Connors is a weatherman for a small television station in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania and he's tasked with going uh, to Puxatawney, Pennsylvania, to cover Groundhog's Day on February 2nd. They have a a kind of a a ceremony at Gobbler's Knob there in Puxatawney, Pennsylvania, where they hold up a groundhog, and of course, whether or not he sees his shadow depends on whether or not winter's going to be longer or shorter, and so February 1st, he and his cameraman, Larry, and their news producer, Rita, drive together uh, to Puxatawney. They check into a little bed and breakfast, and February 2nd comes, and the alarm clock turns to 6 a.m. The radio comes on, and the local radio station's playing a Sonny and Cher song, I Got You, Babe. So Phil begrudgingly gets out of bed, goes through the routine, goes and does the coverage of the Groundhog Day, and is excited to be going back to Pittsburgh because he sees it just as a waste of his life. Phil's a pretty arrogant, self-centered, narcissistic-type person, and it's all about him, and so he just can't wait to get back to the big town of Pittsburgh, and so goes to bed after Groundhog Day is over, wakes up the next morning. Again, the alarm clock turns to 6 a.m., and uh, the alarm clock radio comes on, and it's the same Sonny and Cher song, I Got You, Babe, and he's kind of chuckling that the local radio guys have put in yesterday's tape, and uh, they need to be a little bit more professional, and he gets showered. He goes downstairs getting ready to go, and he discovers that everyone's acting like it's yesterday, Groundhog Day. And pretty soon he discovers that something weird's going on. It's kind of a sense of deja vu that he's living the same day over again. And the next day, the clock goes to six. Sonny and Cher, come on, I got you, babe. And day after day after day after day, Phil Connors is now living the same day. And of course, he's confused and dazed at first and Then he begins to try to take advantage of it, knowing that there's no real consequences because every day is going to be the the same day again. And so as we saw in the preview, he he begins to become a glutton and he eats whatever he wants to, you know, donuts and pancakes and cake and just stuff in his face with all the stuff that tastes good, but it's bad for our bodies. I mean, what would you do with eternity? And so uh, he just becomes a glutton and Then he also begins to go on binge drinking uh, throughout the town and he begins to manipulate women for one night stands. And so again, he's this hedonistic, self-serving, kind of a jerk and a pig. And so he's just trying to, you know, do all these things for himself to have a better time and he begins to rob stores and, and after a while, all that excitement and adventure and carousing begins to get old. And he just wishes that the next day would be February 3rd rather than February 2nd. And he begins to despair and get depressed. And pretty soon the fun has worn off and he's in a very dark place as we can see in this clip. And I felt like doing that to my alarm clock and I'm not stuck in a time loop so I can't imagine the despair that he's going through. And pretty soon it becomes really dark. And as we saw again in the trailer, he begins to Commits suicide. He's just trying to find a way to end the day. But that doesn't work. Every day, 6 a.m., I got you, babe. And the clock turns, and he's awake, and he's awake, and he has to live the same day over and over again. But finally, something begins to shift in Phil, and He begins to take the focus off of himself and being stuck and just trying to do things only for him to make himself feel better. And he begins to finally do something in his life that maybe he's never done before. He notices other people and he begins to notice that their lives aren't perfect either and that that they have challenges that he can actually help with. And and we see that Phil's heart begins to warm and he begins to, to participate in the lives of others and he begins to to encounter some joy from helping some other people. So check out this slice of Phil's life as he encounters the same man every day for who knows how many days and see how Phil begins to change and how he treats him. So Phil begins to grow as a person, begins to have feelings for others than himself. He does everything in his power to try to save this old man's life, and he's not able to do it. It's just not able to do it. It's just the man's time to die. But it changes something in Phil, and he begins to look around town to see the people that he can change and have an influence upon and, and to help, and he begins going around town and seeing different needs, and, and every day he continues to go and then try to meet them. For example, one boy is climbing a tree, and every day at the same time he falls out of the tree and would break his arm or leg if Phil wasn't there running to catch him every day. And Group of older ladies are in a car and they have a flat tire and Phil changes the tire there's a man who's eating in a restaurant and he chokes on some steak and Phil comes in and gives him the Heimlich maneuver and saves his life every day catch the kid from the tree fix the tire and save the man's life Phil also begins to take French lessons and learns how to play the piano and learn how to do ice sculpting and and he begins to So invest in his producer, Rita, who he formerly just had lust over, but now he begins to develop real feelings for her and, and begins to fall in love with her. And so now Phil is deciding to use his eternity, his everyday time loop, into an opportunity to better himself and to truly care for other people. So finally one day, the clock turns six. He gets up and it's February 3rd and he's graduated. From Groundhog Day, because he's grown, and he's truly fallen in love, and he's truly learned how to become a more loving person. All those day after day after day after day of being stuck, he's finally released, and he's a better person for it. It's an amazing movie. It's a great parable. It's a great teaching story. It's funny to watch, and uh, just I love the the meaning behind it. He had to have some growth in his life because he was stuck. And we don't have to be stuck in a time loop like Phil in a a movie, you know, an imaginary movie. But I think we all know what it's like to be stuck in life, don't we? We're probably all stuck in different places for different times. but, But we know what it's like to be stuck in a season of our life and we wish that we could get beyond that. For some of us, it might be our, our career, our jobs, that, that we're in a, in a position in life where we think there's got to be something more for us with our jobs and career. We feel like we're in a dead-end kind of a place, and we're just wondering, you know, when's that door going to open, and I'm going to be able to step out into the next level of, of my career? Maybe some of us are unemployed, and we just love a shot to have a job and, and have some self-respect and be back out in the working world and, and make an income and support ourselves and our families. Some of us might feel stuck in a relationship, that it's just not going where we had hoped it would go, and we're, we're kind of anxious about that. We're not sure where that relationship's going to go. Or maybe some of us are just, we'd like to be in a relationship, a loving personal relationship with, with someone, and, and for whatever reason, it seems to be elusive. Maybe some of us feel that, that we're never going to graduate from school, and maybe some of us parents who have small children at home think that school's never going to start, but uh, there's good news. Tomorrow's coming. Uh, some of us feel stuck that we're sick and our bodies are, are, are broken or someone that we love and care about, they are sick and we just wonder when will they be unstuck and, and get well again. I think we all know what it's like to be stuck. And so, brothers and sisters, as you came in today, and where is it in life that you're stuck right now? You know, and I think we're stuck for different reasons. I think sometimes we're stuck because we've made some decisions, good or bad, and they've kind of put us in a, in a situation that we're going to be in for a while because of our choices that we've made. And sometimes I think we're stuck in life because we can't control all the circumstances around us. And, and the people that have influence and do, you know, they, they are kind of a holdup for us. And sometimes I wonder if God's not in our lives and and helping to keep us in, in, a, in, a, in a place that we feel stuck in because He's doing something. And He's helping us to grow and become something that's going to prepare us to take the next step that we're not ready to take right now. So I think there are many reasons that, that we could be stuck. And it's not just individuals that are stuck. I, I think about our country and how we feel stuck. You know, when is racism going to ever go away? Or when is hatred going to be vanquished? You know, when are we going to not have to turn on the news and see national disasters like Hurricane Harvey hitting Texas? You know, when are the people in our country going to be, you know, stop being so divided? It seems like half the country's one way and half the country's the other way. When are we going to have to not worry about war, or nuclear war, or like with North Korea? Like, you know, you read the scriptures in the, in the book of Psalms in the Old Testament in the, in the middle of the Bible and And a common question to God, you know, from people who are being very honest is, how long, God? How long do we have to wait? How long do we have to be stuck? How long do we have to suffer? How long do we have to be in this situation? And so if you're feeling stuck right now, I want you to join me on just a brief journey this morning through the Bible to see some hope, some words that God has written that I think are applicable today that that can help us when we feel stuck in our lives. I want to start with the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, verses 18 through 19. Isaiah is a prophet, a spokesperson for God, speaking to the people of Israel. They've disobeyed God. They are reaping the consequences of that. They've been conquered by foreign nations. They've been led off into captivity, and, and they're wondering how long this is going to last and if God even cares anymore. And Isaiah, the prophet, says this from God, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? God's saying, I'm with you. And and yes, there's been some trouble in the past. And yes, there have been some consequences. But now's the time to move forward. God says the past is not going to necessarily dictate the present or the future anymore. And so sometimes I wonder in our lives if we're not stuck because we can't let go of the past. God says you know what, forget the former things, right? Not like we'll ever forget that it happened to us, but we don't let them weigh us down that God has something more in store for us. God says this through another prophet in the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 11. It's one of our favorite verses here in our congregation. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future Again, encouraging words for the people of Israel that God's not through with them yet and that they're in a position where they're stuck, but God says, I have plans for your life, plans for a bright future, plans that you can hope for. And, and I think while this message was written thousands of years ago that it still applies to us today that God has plans for our lives and that God's not through with us yet, and that's why we live and breathe on the earth, and and that God is working in our lives to bring good, even from challenging circumstances, and so to keep our eyes open to see where God might be leading us next. Then we see Paul's words in the letter to the Philippians in the New Testament, chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, and he says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and uh, straining toward what is ahead, I press forward to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Jesus Christ. Now Paul is a man in the first century that that has incredible, awesome things happen to him and he has lots of hardships as well and, and he's saying that he's looking forward to heaven he hasn't achieved the prize of, of heaven and eternity that, that Jesus came in the world to offer us, but he knows that it's going to happen. All right, and so when we, we read these words of the prophets in the Old Testament, we read the words of Paul in the New Testament, is that God has better things for, in store for us than where we might be stuck. There's the the awesome heaven waiting for us in eternity, you know, when we've invited Jesus into our lives to be our Lord and Savior that we can look forward to, this wonderful place with no tears and no anxiety, And, and so we can look forward to that, but we don't have to wait till we die because God also has plans for us while we live on the earth, plans for our futures, plans to bring good things into our lives, plans to give us hope, and so what the Bible seems to be saying to me is keep the eye, our eyes on the prize, right? That there's something better for us. There's something better for us tomorrow. There's something better for us next month. There's something better for us next year that you know, while we live and breathe on the earth, while we're stuck sometimes, that God still has better things in store and, and don't forget that. And, and that when we end this life and go into the next world, that God has even better things than that. And so keep our eyes on the prize when we're stuck in a very hard and difficult c- circumstance. So keep our eyes on the prize. And forward thinking, future thinking is awesome and we can trust in the hope and the promises of God and that's one thing that can get us through. But I think God also gives us additional good news when we're in the moment. When we're in the moment like the Groundhog Day where again and again and again, it might not be the same calendar day, but again and again and again, we feel like we're living the same story again and again and again. God gives us hope in the here and now as well. And passages of Scripture really help us with that. Again, in Paul's letter to the Philippians, he says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want, I can do all this through Him, Jesus, who gives me strength. Again, Paul had some extremely high ups, and he had some extremely low downs, and, and, and he says, I've learned... That in life, when I'm stuck or when I'm, I'm you know, in all the God's glory and doing awesome things, I've learned to be content, right? Whether I'm rich or poor, whether I'm, I'm hungry or I'm full of food, right? I think we can apply any situation in our own lives, right? Whether we're, we're having a good time or whether we're in that stuck, difficult time, Paul says, I have figured out how to be content in whatever circumstances because God is with me and that God is working to bring good into my life. And that even when I'm stuck, my life doesn't stop. And that good things, even though there's a lot of negative things around me, I can still enjoy those moments in my life because God is with me. And living in the time of being stuck is not wasted time. That there's something going on here. And I can be content because God has good things for me, even though I feel stuck and I'm ready to move on. In the book of Psalms, again in the Old Testament, chapter 51, verse 10, the psalmist writes this, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. I think that sometimes that we get stuck in life because we're like Phil Connors, we need to learn a lesson or or we need to have some sort of growth in our lives and in our hearts. And maybe we're stuck because we've made some bad decisions and and we need God to work on our heart just like God worked on Phil's heart. I think sometimes that we can be selfish. I think that sometimes we can be prideful and, and we can focus on our own lives and our own selves and, and, and we can forget about the people around us who need us and that we can help and we can make a difference in life. And so I think what the psalmist here is saying is, God, change me. If I'm stuck in a moment and I need to learn something, if I need to grow, God, give me a pure heart. I, I want to see the world with your eyes. I want to love the world with your heart and, and help me, God, to get unstuck. Help me become the person that you created me to be. The book of Hebrews in the New Testament, chapter 12, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. All the bad stuff that we're doing that's holding us back, get rid of it, right? Use the time to get rid of that. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. right, if we're stuck, look to Jesus, right? Pray, worship, be a part of a small group serve God out in the world through the ministries of our church, right? If we're stuck and we need to focus our eyes on Christ, maybe God needs to do something inside of us. Maybe there's something that needs to die inside of us before we can move forward, right? That's why Jesus came to the world, right? To die on a cross and to come back to life, to give us a way back to God. And, and as followers of Jesus, we have to die to ourselves. We have to surrender our wrongdoing and our guilt and our shame and say, Jesus, take that from me and, and give me new life and give me new birth, so sometimes we're stuck because we're just hanging on to stuff that we don't even hang on. We haven't allowed God to transform us into the people that God wants us to be. I didn't get engaged to be married until I was in my early 30s. And when I met my, my wife, Laura, when we were dating, it was an amazing thing because if I had met her earlier in my life, I wouldn't have been mature enough to handle her and, and, and be in a relationship with someone in a place where she was and, and I would have missed out on her forever. And so I was stuck in a period of dating and looking for the right person but i had to become the right person myself and it was totally worth it and i had a lot of work to do and so when we're stuck we can have hope that god is doing something right now second corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 paul says therefore if anyone is in christ the new creation has come the old is gone and the new is here when we we're born again in Christ Jesus, right, the past and the present, they, they don't have to hang on to us and dictate the future that we have a new life now. We have a new future ahead of us. And, and we talk to God and we read the Bible and we come to worship and, and we begin to understand who we're supposed to be in God and that He has great plans for us and what those plans are and how we can live those out. And finally, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus' words Himself, when we're feeling stuck, I think this is something that, that brings me a lot of hope. And truly, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus is with us when we're stuck. He's with us, and even though it's a hard time and a challenging time, He's there to help us. He's helped us to learn and to feel His presence. And even if it's a difficult situation, He's there to bring us joy and give us moments of happiness and, and hope that, right, we don't have to wait to start living our life until everything's perfect in the future or in heaven, right? Right part of life is being stuck sometimes and having bad things happen. And yet we can still find joy and peace and goodness because Jesus is with us in that time in the middle. So where are you stuck, brothers and sisters? Why do you think you're stuck there? And what are you doing about it? And how can these passages of scripture help us to begin to to focus our perception on why we're stuck? And and how can we get involved in the ministries of church and in being in a personal relationship with Christ to help us begin to, to make better use of the time of being stuck so that God can prepare us for what 's next? What does this really look like though, in real life? I mean, what, what does that look like? I know for us as a congregation we 've been uh, for the last four years pursuing this vision that we believe God has given us to be the spiritual crossroads of the South Park community, leading people to life rich in Christ and a big part of that is we're relaunching our church. It's like our church is being resurrected. We were serving the Sharon community for many, many years, and now that the Sharon community has become the South Park community, we're trying to, to to be relevant to the South Park community. That's causing a lot of big shifts in our ministry and big changes in trying to adapt to the community around us, which is exciting and scary, and, and it, it's, it takes a lot of time. And a big part of that is we're rebuilding our campus right across from the South Park Mall from a, just a church building. We're going to knock that down, and we're going to to build a mixed-use development where the church is going to be in the middle of apartments and restaurants and shops and a hotel and all kinds of things that, that are there. And the intent is to be right the crossroads, the spiritual crossroads of that community and give all these thousands of people an opportunity to, to be in relationship with us in relationship with Jesus. And it's exciting and and those of you who've been with us from the very beginning, right, four years is a long time. And, you know, someone told me today that this is the 25th Sunday we've been worshiping in the theater. And it's like, wow, right, where did all the time go? And, and some of us have, are like getting frustrated, like, is it ever going to happen? Are we ever going to get there? And, right, you know, as if, you know, when we get to the new building, it's going to be awesome. And, and, and that's what we're really looking forward to, keeping our eyes on the prize, right? But, but in the meantime, right, style in the meanwhile, what's been going on? I think that's a way that we, we can kind of deal with that, that stuck moment that when Jesus is with us, we can, we can style in the meanwhile and that these past four years have not been wasted, that we've been faithful to God, we've been bold for Jesus and that people's lives have been transformed. Today it's my honor and a privilege to share with you a story from a real couple out of our congregation, David and Mary. Uh, I've got a picture of them with their granddaughter here and just a, a wonderful, loving family. And in the past three or four years, they've gone through a great deal in their lives. And they credit that they have survived that and have thrived in that because they love Jesus and they love this church. So I want to read to you a letter that they wrote to me that I asked them to do and got their permission. And this is from David and Mary. David penned it himself. But I want you to think about when you feel stuck, that God really does matter. God really does care about you and that there's a way forward. While we wait to break ground on our new campus, God is using the church in powerful ways to impact the lives of others. We've talked about being a storytelling kind of a church. Well, here's one true story. Dear Kyle, as I sit at my desk and hope, I'm filled with a range of emotions To my immediate left is the Wesleyan covenant prayer. You know how it goes. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. Just like the passage that I read to you from Paul today. The song in Christ alone plays behind these words on my laptop as I type. We're like a lot of folks who live in the South Park community. We look great on the outside, but behind the smile, the pressed golf shirt, and khaki pants is a different view suddenly and without warning that we start experiencing what have become some life-changing moments. Company mergers, office politics, new organization charts, new bosses, before long choosing to stay or leave a successful 30-year career. We're like lots of folks who live in the South Park community, and then comes another life-changing moment. New schools, new principals, new teachers, new classrooms to set up once again as a teacher. We're like lots of folks who live in the South Park community, and then comes another life-changing moment. One of your grown children is thrust into a surprise separation and subsequent divorce. We're like lots of folks who live in the South Park community, then comes another life-changing moment. Caregiving for my aging mom and dad, depleting finances, and raising credit card debt to cover their medical expenses And then the death of my diabetic father. We're like lots of folks who live in the South Park community. And then comes another life-changing moment. Decisions about assisted living, skilled nursing, or more in-home care. The loss of two mothers within 60 days of each other. We're like lots of folks who live in the South Park community. And then another life-changing moment. The birth of our first grandchild. And seven months later, the loss of her youngest uncle to suicide at the age of 21. We're like lots of folks who live in the South Park community and then another life-changing moment. We sell the family home that my wife grew up in. It's sold in three days. Where would we live two weeks before closing? Would it be Charlotte or somewhere else? We're like lots of folks who live in the South Park community, except we experienced all these life-changing moments in the past 1,157 days, three years. So how is it even possible that Mary and I could weather all of those life-changing events and stressful moments I believe it's because of a growing and renewed relationship with Jesus Christ and because of the community of faith we have here. A community of faith who prayed incessantly. A community of faith who anonymously left restaurant and grocery gift cards at our doorstep. A community of faith equipped with the Stephen ministry team who sent encouraging notes to keep us going. A community of faith who referred caregiver coaching clients to me and provided transit consulting work. Gave me work. A community of faith with a men's group who prayed, coached, and lifted my spirits Tuesday after Tuesday in person or with a personal, personalized card if I was absent. A community of faith who offered us unconditional love. A community of faith who left blank envelopes filled with cash attached to my windshield wipers or inside my blue blazer hanging across the hall from the old church office. A community of faith who through powerful prayer, preaching, and music reached deep inside and quenched our parched soul. A community of faith who filled a church sanctuary twice for family funerals with more members attending from this church than the members who attended my parents' church. A community of faith who offered a flurry of text messages 15 minutes prior to a series of important face-to-face job interviews in-state and out-of-state. A community of faith who marshaled vans and pickup trucks to move 80 boxes and furniture in blistering July heat. It saved us $1,200 in moving expenses the next day. A community of faith who has folks who can use tools, especially to hook up a washer and dryer, praise God. A community of faith who offers small groups and life groups who prepared a week's worth of food as we settled into our new rental home or counseled me every Friday in the neighboring mall food court. A community of faith that not every couple or family who lives in the South Park community is blessed to have. This is my view. While we are rebuilding our campus for every individual couple or family in the South Park community who might be struggling with life-changing moments in their lives, where will they turn? Who will be their encouragement like Barnabas in the Bible? We can be that community of faith who walk alongside of them. The South Park spiritual anchor. They need us just as much or maybe even more than Mary and I needed you. This story could have turned out much differently without this community of faith. We might not be sitting in this theater today, but here we are. Our granddaughter Ellie turns a year old on Sunday. She's growing bigger and stronger each day. I believe we are too in our relationship with God, each other and with you, our community of faith. God continues to unfold His plan for us. Keep praying. We're just like lots of folks in the South Park community and then another life-changing moment. And next time, somebody else might need a community of faith. They might be around the corner or they could be sitting closer to you than you might think in a South Park movie theater. Oh, Kyle, by the way, the song now playing on my laptop is In His Time. Brothers and sisters, we have not wasted the last four years of our lives. We have not wasted the last four years of our ministry waiting for a new building to be built and it's going to be awesome. But now, in the time of the frontier, people need Jesus. People like David and Mary, everyday South Park people here in our community who say we couldn't have made it without Jesus Christ and the love of this congregation. And so we style in the meanwhile. We keep loving God. We keep doing what God called us to do. We're exactly where God wants us to be right now.